Another Way to Play, episode 30. Hey, this is Damian Lupo, American Sensei and founder of over 50 companies. And if you want to learn to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my buddy Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play, your wake-up call to finally make a difference by creating a life defined by freedom. This is about entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and industry professionals that have left the 9-to-5 rat race behind by taking that personal leap from where they were to where they want to be. It's time to stop going through the motions, stop hitting the snooze button on your life, and get the insight and inspiration to make the next chapter of your life better than your last. This is Another Way to Play with your host, Hans Struzina. This is Another Way to Play. I am your host, Hans Struzina, and I believe that if you trade hours for dollars, you will never achieve true freedom in your life. Today's guest is somebody who is on a mission to achieve for a million people exactly that, freeing them from financial bondage. Uh, Today's guest is, of course, none other than Damien Lupo. Uh, He's an American sensei, Ukudo founder, fifth degree black belt financial mentor uh, to Transformation Nation. Uh, He, as I mentioned, has a goal of freeing 1 million people uh, from financial bondage into financial freedom, the new 1%, as he calls it uh, here in America. He uh, says that every person uh, in the United States and the world, for that matter, uh, has the right to be free and enjoy life uh, free from constraints of finances and the confusion and chaos of financial illiteracy. Uh, so in this conversation, Damien and I have a really great time talking about a couple things. Uh, one in particular was how he got kicked out of college. Uh, he was just too entrepreneurial, started a competing bookstore, um, and ended up realizing like, hey, this just isn't for me. Uh, so he ended up leaving, starting a bunch of companies, and hasn't looked back since. He does have some good advice, though, for someone who is in formal education. Uh, talks specifically about how school uh, sort of builds neuroplasticity or hardwire in your brain uh, to learn how to be right. However, uh, getting out there and being wrong is what entrepreneurship and, and generally being in the marketplace is all about. He actually has a really great dialogue there. Um, says, if you're 50% wrong in school, you fail. You get an F, you got to repeat it, you got to retake it, you get held back, something bad happens. Uh, but if you're 50% right in business, you're a billionaire. So let that sink in for a second. Uh, Damien is definitely someone who is uh, very forward thinking, in my opinion, and a really great guest. So this is a one you're going to want to Uh, listen to a second time, maybe a third time, take some notes on and definitely reach out to him after this conversation because he's got a lot to offer in the finance world. So I'm really excited to bring you guys this conversation. And uh, at the end of it, if you find that you get value, if you really enjoyed what Damien's talking about, the dialogue we had, uh, if you wouldn't mind going into iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, leave me a rating and written review. I would really appreciate it. It gives me a lot of feedback on how I'm doing, as well as helps with the algorithm to uh, tell Apple to put this podcast in front of some more people who could use it. And if you're really interested and want to get more 
more personal with me, go into the show notes, uh, click on my Calendly link, grab a time so we can have a one-on-one chat. I'd love to get to know you a little bit more, uh, find out how I can provide more value through this podcast, and generally uh, just get to know people who are uh, digging this content because that really is the ultimate feedback for me uh, and why I'm doing this in the most part because it's about connection. So uh, get down into the show notes, leave a rating and review. And without any further ado, let's bring in Damien Lupo. Damien, thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm really uh, honored to to have a chance to chat chat with you and uh, hear from you today. Oh, it's good to be here, man. Let's get into this. Let's do it. You know, I alluded to some of the stuff you're you're doing here in the uh, intro, but before we get into that, let's let's back up a little bit. Let's let's build some context. Let's talk about where you came from, where your journey started. I, I was the guy that always got frustrated because people told me that I couldn't do something, or here are the rules, or here's what you're supposed to do, and. And I mean, it started back when I was like 11. My parents told me we couldn't afford Nintendo games and that made me mad because I wanted to play games. And so I went out and started a, a Nintendo company, basically hired my parents to go drive me and buy games and then play them and then sell them. And it was really just because I wanted to play games. And it was what I realized there very early is as an entrepreneur that the key is finding a problem that other people have and then bring them the solution. And all of a sudden commerce happens and a business is born. And so that was the, the beginning. And then it just kind of spiraled from there over the years. I, I even tried to go down the route of going to college and they got thrown out because I started a bookstore and they, the president said, hey, you're literally shutting down the bookstore because you're putting them out of business. I was like, yeah, but they're overpriced. So, so he didn't like that. I got thrown out of school, paid for school in a week and realized I'm probably not supposed to be in college because I'm out here solving problems and college teaches you mostly how to be a, a good robot. And so I just, I, I kind of, fought it for well i got it was four times and after the fourth time i finally said okay enough's enough and then focused on the entrepreneurial activities man that's that's really interesting the uh let's i'm I'm curious about this nintendo business so if i'm understanding you correctly you had your parents uh you'd go buy a game you'd play it a little bit and then you'd sell it secondhand and try and make the money back so here, kind of, I mean, what I would do is I would go to people that were selling their games and we used to have these things called newspapers with classified sections. It's called mm-hmm. list now, right? But they, back in the day, like 30 years ago or something, you, you basically saw somebody that was selling a game. What I'd do is I'd find somebody that was selling all their games and I'd go to them and I'd say, hey, I got a deal for you. I'll buy all your games at a better discount. It's, kind of, it's called wholesale buying in bulk. It's right. like Costco. And so that's all I did. I bought them and then I would just sell them off if I already had them or if I was bored with them. And I'd sell them off one at a time. So it was a wholesale retail business. That, that's so you're just, you're making a spread. And, and was it like you're 11 or 12 at this point? Like how, how did that idea come to you? Was that something that you thought of yourself or were your parents involved with that? I, I was actually out there always trying to figure out how to make money because I got tired of people telling me we don't have any money. I wasn't one of those kids that made an allowance. It was like, you want money? Go shovel somebody's driveway. I grew up in Alaska. Yeah. There's lots of snow to shovel. And, and so this is, you know, you got you to gotta hustle. And hustling involves getting off your butt and going and doing something. I mean, I think that's totally. nowadays people are, they're like, well, I want to make money and I'm going to sit behind my screen and find internet money. And I'm like, yeah, it's kind of there, but you know what? Everybody else is there too. So you better get off your butt and do something if you want to be competitive. In those early days, and, and I guess this kind of led you into college, like, can you talk us through some of the sort of common advice that you had been given that uh, was clearly contrary to what you were doing and, and how you ultimately knew that it wasn't 
applicable to you in your your career and your journey? Well, here's here's the advice that everybody receives in Western culture in terms of going to school and, and the whole process. Go go there and do well, memorize everything, get good grades, and everything's going to be great because you're going to end up with a, a diploma, and then it shows that you can pass something. And I would say that that actually is oftentimes counterproductive because if you're focusing on getting everything right, you're not going to understand how to be an entrepreneur because entrepreneurs how to be they understand how to be wrong. They understand how to go do things and they don't take it personally. They go, that's how you learn. That's how you grow something. So I've started and had over 50 companies in the last 25 years. And what I've done is more things wrong than right. And so you think about in school, we're taught if you get more than, if you get 50% wrong, you fail. Let me mm -hmm. tell you, something. in the real world, you get 50% right in business, you're a billionaire. And so we're yeah. taught the exact wrong things about mistakes and learning. And we're afraid. We're afraid of judgment because what happens? You get an F on your report card. You are in the doghouse. Like you're grounded. You're, you're failing. You're thrown out of school. You're on probation. It, in the real world, 50% right is a damn miracle. Completely. And you clearly realized that early on, um, which I, th I find fascinating because that's something that most people don't, don't pick up until they're pretty far along in their career, if ever. Um, what was it that, that sort of helped you realize that and, and actually then have the, the wherewithal to act on it and do something about it? I think one of the things, there's, when you drop out of college or you're thrown out of college, there's, a, there's this weird inner need to prove that you're not an idiot to other people that actually went totally. through all the directions because you're now you know, unemployed and you have no college degree. You're a high school, basically a, a memorized product. You, you memorized a bunch of crap, got some grades, and now you're out. But I think there was a, a sense of being judged by people and whether or not anybody cares because most people are too busy focusing on themselves to care about you. I mean, let's be honest. We think yep. about what people care, but they don't care that much. And, and so I just started really thinking in the beginning, I'm going to be really rich. And so I just kept beating my head on the walls, looking around for a different way through the wall. And it was just that need because we have this basic level of need for significance and value. It's one of our human needs. And my significance at that point, early 20s, was I want people to think that I'm not an idiot. And so yeah. I went out there and made a lot of money to do that. And my parents were part of that group where they're going, you're an idiot. What are you doing? And I was like, no, 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 I'm doing well. And the problem is the only thing I was focusing on was money. And so mm -hmm. when I made many, many millions of dollars, I thought that that was the end all be all that never ended because I kept going and making more millions. And that's not why we're here. We're here right. to create value and money is a side effect of that. And so ultimately I paid the, one of the ultimate prices when I lost everything because my net worth and self-worth were so tied together even though I had a net worth and this, this um, portfolio of $20 million, it wasn't enough and it went to negative 5 million and all of a sudden I was worthless. So that's a huge lesson for people when they're going like, I need, I need to hustle so I can make some money. It's like, well, why? What do you really want to do with that hustle money that's going to come back? Because you're going to exchange your time. You're going to give up something, whether it's your hobby or your family life or something's going to have to give. Why are you doing it? And if you don't start there, telling you it's a very painful process to walk away from like years of your life going, wow, I have a bunch of money and I missed all the experiences. There's a lot to unpack in there. And I, I appreciate you kind of taking us down that road. I guess where I want to start is kind of backing up to something you said in the beginning, which was, you know, there, there is a commentary around uh, not going to college, especially in the entrepreneurial space at the moment. I think this comes up in a lot of very various forms. Um, and I think that there are, there's a time and a place for a formal education, but it's not necessarily the right route for everybody. However, I think that there's also uh, a group of people who have 
you, you point to and say they made billions or millions of dollars, uh, didn't go to college, so therefore I shouldn't, or if I'm a C student, you know, it's like somehow if you're, if you're an A student, you can't be an entrepreneur. Um, and if you do go through the four years and go to grad school or whatever else you do, you, you're not cut out for this space. You got to go work in a, in a factory or a quote unquote factory um, uh, going forward. Like, what would you say to someone who let's just say, isn't as, you know, maybe forward thinking as you were in the early part of your career and is sort of pursuing that formal education, but doesn't know that it's quite the right fit. So when, when we're, one of the things about formal education is it tends to create a lot of neuroplasticity, which is wiring of the brain. We wire our brains in certain ways based on practice and habits. And when we're in mm -hmm. school, we hardwire ourselves to do things right and doing things wrong tends to be, it, it tends to be a bad thing. So what I will tell you is that if you're going to do that, that course, you really have to find a way to practice making mistakes. And if you don't, you're literally going to reject any idea of going out there and making mistakes because you, you will freak out and go into, into a fetal position. So it's just, it's finding ways to make mistakes. And sometimes that's, it's like a home-based business or it's, I mean, I was, I was involved in Amway for, for years and, and it was one of those things. I, like, I needed to go out there and make mistakes and have people tell me no. It, learning how to sell is a great way to learn how to face rejection. And so that, I think that's probably one of the things people should be doing regardless of where they're at is finding a way, something where they can learn how to sell to break apart that whole need to be right and to not make mistakes. That's awesome, man. A great answer. I appreciate that. Um, and then going forward, you're, you're totally spot on about the uh, commentary around money and making money and hustling. And like, let's, you know, I think Grant Cardone is probably a pretty good example of this is like, if you hustle, if you grind, you know, you close, you do all this stuff, you can like have this lifestyle. Um, but as you've sort of, you know, poignantly pointed out here, it's empty if it's not for a purpose. Can you talk to us about that realization for you and, and maybe walk us through the moment of like, you look, you made money, you lost it. And then you're like, for what? And then instead now how that's different, uh, this go around. Well, so when I lost it, one of the problems is that's all I had was just the money. So it was great when I had my Ferrari and I had millions of dollars and I was like, you know, Mr. Important. And then when it goes away and everything was gone, I literally didn't have anything because I didn't really spend time or energy investing in relationships. It was just about the money. And, and so I sat on that for a few years. And then what really hit me was towards the end of my dad's life, when he got really sick, he, we were having a conversation and he looked at me and he said, there were just so many things that I wanted to do. And what I realized, and then he died a few weeks later, he, he, was, he was dealing with regret. He didn't go out and do the things because he was fixated on the money. He never had enough money, but he was always afraid he'd run out. So he stayed in a space of, I'm not going to engage because I have limited resources. It's the exact same problem when you have too many resources and all you're doing is consuming. You're, it's like, well, where's the depth? You have this huge amount of stuff you, know, you have 25 cars and you have five houses or whatever, but where's the depth and the meaning in your life? And that's when I realized I've got to be consciously focusing on things that matter so that at the end of my life, it's not just a, oh, damn, I missed out. It's a, holy cow, that was spectacular. Huge difference. And it's a conscious yep. choice or it's an unconscious disaster waiting to pop on you. And that's really where we're, where we're at. Everybody is. Completely. And how do you how did you uh, identify those things that would, would make it so that uh, at the end of your life, you have found sort of um, satisfaction or I don't know how you're going to define it for yourself, but how, how did you go on that journey of finding that for yourself? Cause it sounds like it was a couple of year process for you. 
Yeah, it was it was at least a couple of years. It's probably more like five or six to really dig into it. And I think one yeah. of the things missing anymore is everybody's looking for the four hour hack to their life. Mm-hmm. I love Tim Ferriss's book, but four hours is not enough time to figure out your life and to implement it. So give me a break. Like, <laughs> you need more. And and there's a commitment. So the greatest successes in world history are, are countries that think about things in terms of centuries, not quarters. We tend to think about things in 15 minute chunks, not even quarters, because we're too anxious. And, and so I, I found something about 10 years ago called Lifebook. And it was a way to methodically, very deliberately think through all the pieces of our life, from our health, our emotional life, our social life, our love life, our children, our financial life, our career, our whole life vision, like all these pieces where we thought about in this process what they are, what, what the rules are, what our premise and, and how we're going to implement them. And because I spent so much time thinking and writing and building that, now I, it's looking back at me and it's kind of like a North Star. It pulls on me to go and build this thing because I'm so clear. And clarity is where the power is. If you don't have clarity, people are lost. It's because they don't have clarity. They're like, I want something else. Well, what is it? I have no idea. I just hate where I am. Well, that's not going to pull you anywhere. You're just going to be bitching all the time. Right. So you got to get clear on what it is you want. And if you don't have a structure, then you go, I have goals. I want a yacht and a car and a lot of sex. Like I, mm-hmm. people are crazy when they do these things because there's no specifics. And so you're not really going to have anything pulling you. You need it so vivid that like it fires off the emotions in you and you wake up at three o'clock in the morning with a burning desire to go do something about it. That's what you have to have if you want to change something in your life that isn't working. Absolutely. A lot of people I think have that idea of they want better, they want more, they want something else, but lose, like I find that like step one to, or step zero to step one, and then maybe to step two is oftentimes the hardest and most difficult. And then from there, once you kind of take those first couple, it can start to snowball a bit. And then maybe even the second time when you've accomplished those first goals, like doing it a second time is maybe a little easier. But like if someone's sort of sitting there frustrated, trying to identify what are those things that would wake me up at 3am, but they just, they're running into a block. What would you give them advice on as far as how to execute that and how to even go about having that conversation with themselves? Better questions. It comes down to better questions. The, the question that I asked for two years with a therapist who became a martial arts partner instructor was what is true? And when I was going through my mess and where most people are, there's some type of mess in your life. Like nobody's life is perfect. The mess mm-hmm. can be fixed by asking what is true about it. You, get, you acknowledge what's true and then you can do something because you can't change a lie. You got to figure out the truth. And so one of the things that I realized was anything that I'm going to go do and pursue has to have a bigger mission than me. And that's what really gets us fired up. And it, it makes it makes us willing to do things that maybe put us in jeopardy because there's other people involved. There's a, there's a legacy, there's a contribution. One of the other six pillars, one of the other six human needs is contribution. And so when, when I started all these businesses, I learned all these things from them. And one of the pieces that was missing for the first 15 years was really a mission beyond money. And, and so now there's a mission to break financial shackles, to free a million people from financial bondage. And because that's the mission, I don't really give a crap what somebody thinks if they don't like me, if they don't like the company, if they don't like the colors of the company. Like it doesn't matter because my mission is so important. And so these are the pieces that are in when when I wrote Unicornomics uh, earlier this year, it it really broke down that as the f- the primary driver, the mission, the why. Like what is the point of what you're doing? Is it just for money? Because you're basically screwed if it's just for money. It has to be mm-hmm. for more. And and once you have that, then you can build out the other pieces. You build out your roadmap and and your your blueprint. All those things work together. Otherwise, you're going to be flailing and failing because you don't really know what you don't know. 
That's the mm-hmm. biggest problem. And you don't know what to ask because you don't know what you don't know. So right. that book is really a summation of a quarter century of screwing everything up and understanding the principles that are required for a billion-dollar company, a million-dollar company, or any company that doesn't just fold. That's awesome, man. And thank you for sending that over. I'm definitely going to read about read it. Uh, it's on my desk right now, and then I'll uh, definitely post about it when I'm when I'm getting through it, and I'll let you know how it's applicable to me. One thing you said there, which is which is interesting, and definitely want to break down a little bit more, is uh, it's got to be something more than money. I think that there are a couple of camps that I keep hearing out there in the podcast world about, um, you know, you've got to have a bigger purpose, a bigger mission, you know, it's philanthropic is sort of an implication of, of this conversation. Um, and then there's some people who say, Hey, like having a boat, a car or whatever can drive you and be a really positive thing. Like you have to fill yourself your cup first before you can fill others. Like how do you draw a distinction between, you know, having those sort of, possessionary physical goals and, and items um, and having a bigger mission and how do those kind of work side and, or hand in hand or do they? Well, I mean, look, being a hedonist is fun. I mean, I did it for a while and it's, it's, it's entertaining. You get to play with a lot of cool, shiny objects. You go really fast and, and your, your, your senses of joy and um, your glands are really served well. There's nothing wrong with that unless that's your only thing because I have friends that are, are worth hundreds of millions of dollars and what I see is them getting towards the end of their life and being very, very sad that they didn't spend their time in other things beyond just assets and the cars and the stuff. So the question is, do you want a fulfilled life or do you want a successful life? When, when I wrote Reinvented Life years ago, one of the chapters is called Success Versus Fulfillment. And it doesn't mean that success is bad. It just means it's a moment in time. Fulfillment is the journey where you're actually in, you're enjoying what you're doing, what you're creating. And, and I think we really have to step back and go, okay, if I'm Gary Vee and I'm going to go buy the Jets, that's cool. Just because I have the Jets, like what does that mean? And the fact that I've spent decades doing something, if he's just going to go out there and, and not him particularly because I don't think he does this, but if you're just going to go out there and make a bunch of money, I mean, you can go sell drugs on the street. You know, you can go do- right bad things, make a bunch of money and have the success moments. What is your life about? Now, here's the thing about philanthropy. You mentioned that. It's a really good call because a lot of times people say, well, if it's going to be purposeful, it has to be nonprofit. It has to be philanthropic. And that's a bunch of baloney because mm-hmm. capitalism and commerce, is, it's about a, an exchange of goods and value. And it's, it's something that we do in agreement there's a huge opportunity to create tons of value by being in business and you don't have to do it for free because money is really what determines whether something is valuable when you're in business. Otherwise, you, I mean, think about philanthropy. The money has to come from somewhere. Right. Somebody has to give it to that thing. And so somebody's got to exchange something, exchanging goods, time, sweat. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what, what, what could we do that's valuable to other people that, so there's three things. It's got to be valuable to other people. The market has to like it. We've actually got to be good at it. And if there's a passion behind it, then all of a sudden we wake up excited. We don't go to sleep on Sunday really like bummed out. And that's the trifecta. You get those three things together, then you're on your way. If you're missing one of those, like people love basket weaving and they go, I'm going to do this because I love it. The market hates it. Market doesn't care. Yeah. doesn't want to pay you. So good. You're going to be all by yourself starving to death. That is not yeah. the human experience that makes the world better. Wow. Well done, man. I appreciate, appreciate all of that. That was awesome. One of the questions I ask a lot of the guests on the show is um, some of the biggest success myths that you've ever heard. And I'm curious 
you've been out there starting companies and, and growing companies and writing books and that sort of thing. What are some of those things for you? Like when I, when I talk about success myths and, and let's just say when you're talking to someone who's just starting out on their journey, they're in their twenties or thirties, uh, getting going, like what's the biggest thing that people have to unlearn for themselves? Well, one of the things that people miss is that they think that once they have their million or two million, that everything's going to be good. And one of the problems is if you don't, if you don't know exactly what you're going to do with it, you're never going to really get it. The likelihood mm. you're going to get it is almost zero because you have to be able to embrace it. If, if I asked people, if you're listening right now and I said, okay, if I give you a million dollars, what are you going to do? You got five minutes to write your list. What people re- come back with almost instantly, mostly is, well, I would pay off my mom's house. I would go on vacation. I'd give some money to charity. And I guess I would, like they're stuck. I'd put it in the mutual fund. Like that's their entire plan. They're never going to yeah. have a million dollars show up because they're not being a good steward. And I think that, the, that there's a universal law around stewardship of money. And so you, one of the, the big mistakes is that people don't have a plan for the wealth. They literally don't know what they would do. I know what I would do up to about 100 million. Beyond that, I don't have a plan. So it's part of my growing process. Success is not about growing something luckily into a place of, hey, it's big now. I think yep. people are, are doing things for the wrong reason and they're listening to the wrong, the wrong rules. You kind of have to step out into a different environment. Here's the easiest thing I can tell you. If you want to change your life, you have to change the people that are around you because you're going to become those, the average of them in every possible way from their physical health to their wealth to their integrity. And so if you want to change things and you go, well, I got to hang around my family because we have barbecues on Sunday or whatever, we're watching football, your life is going to be the same as theirs. It just is because you'll be, you'll become, it's, it's a way that we stay alive as a tribe. It's built into our DNA. And so you have to be willing to go into other environments and start adapting to them. That's a big thing that makes people cringe because they don't want to leave what's safe. That's how you can get out and actually start evolving yourself and it'll happen naturally. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to dump your friends. No, but sometimes it does. I mean, it, I, it, certainly it I, does. No, no question. You have to be willing to spend time where you're being influenced by other people. If, you're, if all the people that are around you make the same amount of money as you or less, you're toast because you're just going to want to fit in. You got to find people that stretch you, that inspire you, where you say, okay, I'm, I'm capable of more. I think most people are capable of way more than they're actually putting out there. But who's over there pulling and pushing and nudging and saying, all right, look, look at my example. And they're like, oh, like I'm around people that are way beyond me in terms of what they've created, what they've contributed on purpose. Not to make me feel bad, but to make me feel like, okay, I get it. There's an example of somebody that's done it. It's not so mystical. Like I can actually go create this if I just model them. Totally. I mean, when I started this podcast, I was one of two people I knew who started a podcast. And then as a result of starting it, I got around a bunch of other people through masterminds and, you know, just groups on Facebook and phone calls and just getting to know others who were thinking about the same stuff. Now I know like 10 or 15 or 20 people at least that I could name off the top of my head who are doing it. And it just becomes part of you and part of your culture and part of your group. And, and to sort of round out that original comment about not necessarily having to dump your friends, like there are toxic people. Sometimes you just got to part ways. But if you get into those other environments and you surround yourself with those other people who are truly aligned with your goals and your mission and where you're trying to go, you will be naturally drawn towards those people. And it's not necessarily like a, like a breakup with these other people. You just won't have time for them in the same way. I, I think that there's, a, there's different levels of how far you go. At one point, I basically fired my family and all my friends. And I had to go through that because they were literally pulling me back every time I spoke with them. 
And we, we can all relate to this where somebody, you get excited about something and people look at you and it's like, oh, they think they love you so much and they're going to tell you that to be safe, don't do it because they yeah. love you. And, yeah. and, and then you feel bad and you're like, oh, well, maybe they're right. And we listen to them. So yep. the danger is we're listening to the wrong message. And sometimes it's not anybody that hates you. It's literally somebody that loves you, but they don't know better. And because yeah. they, they, they don't know better, they're doing the best they can. And so you just have to be really thoughtful around the influences. That's what it comes down to. And how much influence, like how much are you going to spend talking to people that are never going to go anywhere? Um, if, if that's your, you know, you really got to think about those things because they do matter. When you talked about you surround yourself with people who are way farther ahead of you, what ways are you doing that? Like how are you finding mentors or rooms to get into that, that sort of challenge you in that way? So I, I go to a lot of live events on purpose. I meet a lot of really interesting people. You talk about podcasting and when you first start, one of the great things about podcasting is there are podcasting events. You can go and be around 100 people in two days. They all have podcasts and different levels of success. And, and so I just spend a lot of time getting out of my comfort zone, going to things, things like masterminds where people are, I mean, masterminds now where there are people that are at totally different levels, people that have $100 million companies, people that have a couple million dollar company. And I like being around that because there's an optimism. There's not a depression around those people. Like the general masses, unfortunately, are pretty depressed. Mm -hmm. and, and so we, we watch football, we drink beer, we take different drugs and everything is good. You know, like that's the plan. That is kind yeah. of unfortunately what's going on. I like to be in environments where people are actually thinking and, and enjoying and optimistic about the future. So I go to live places. Nothing better than being in a live place. Better than being behind your computer. It's just better to be around people because we're social beings. We're meant to be social with other people. And so I just do that a lot. Completely. Is there, are there any events specifically that you have coming up that you're really excited about? So I, the masterminds that I enjoy being around are, are important to me. Um, one of the great entrepreneurial environments that I, I would suggest to anybody, whether you qualify or you need to think about down the road, is Entrepreneurs Organization, EO. And basically you have to have a company that has at least a million in revenue and there's about 10,000 people in the world that are part of it. Incredible organization. I spent a lot of time with investing seminars all over the country. And I'm, I'm a student and I'm a speaker and I teach. And I just love being around people that are out there excited and creating and they're, they're finding solutions and they're building value. That makes me happy. And I get the language and I just, I spend a lot of time there. So I've been doing that for 20 years. Um, those are the ones that I enjoy. And it really depends on what fires you up. Cause there's a, there's yeah. like an event for everything now. And so yep. and if it's not one, go create it. I mean, cause there's probably a hundred people that want to be at your event if you'll create it. Completely. I'm, I'm thinking about that myself just locally. Like how do I get around other people? Cause I'm in the Bay area and my goodness, if there's not a ton of entrepreneurially minded folks in this geography that I'm just, I don't know. And I would, I should. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is this, one of the things that we have now is meetups. I mean, if, if, if you're thinking, I want to meet people, oh my gosh, there's, if you're in any major city, there's a thousand meetups in every different topic that are pretty much ready to go. You just show up and, and totally. like turnkey, it's ready to go. When you think about, you know, designing your life and having something more um, on purpose, not just around built, uh, creating money, like what are some of those uh, end results, if you will, not even end results. Cause that implies that there's a destination because I don't, I think people should read between the lines in this conversation. There's not, but what are some of the things that beyond money that are driving you now? You sort of alluded to one of them with helping a million people get out of financial bondage, but like, what is that one of them? Is that the main one? Are there others? 
So to me, there's two E's. There's experiences and there's environments. And experiences are both the travel and going out and seeing the world and being a participant in it and the experiences of other people. And then the environments is also a crossover with people and it's the place that we spend our time. So to me, those are the two, those are the, if you think about the E's, the experiences and the environments, and, you, and that really encompasses everything. It encompasses what matters. And what I was missing is the experience of actually connecting with people for a long time. And so it was just because the money was my big thing. If you, if you think about the experiences and the environments that matter, we have a lot of, of, of pollution in our lives, people and environmental pollution. And when we start taking that stuff out, you're, it's like, wow, you can see through the fog. And you didn't realize because you get so used to almost anything because we're humans, we adapt. And just clearing out the fog and the smog of the people and the places in our lives opens up space to be able to create and experience all the experiences that are available if we're consciously choosing them. Completely. That's awesome, man. I love the consciously choosing part because that definitely require because that puts it on you as opposed to I'm just a victim of my circumstances and like you have an opportunity to go out and choose your experience or and or your environment and uh, be be mindful and thoughtful about it we, we do have that we have that choice to to choose we when, when I was starting out I was focused on consumption and what I realized down the road was a lot of sometimes people think altruistically that philanthropy and contribution if they just give everything away that's the, that's the thing it's, it's not. Neither one of those works. It's called circulation between consumption and contribution. It's kind of like at, at a holiday, if, if you're giving somebody a present, part of that is you giving and part of them is receiving. So we got to be able right. to consume and contribute and both are equally as valuable because if you're receiving and you can't receive, if you can't consume because you're feeling awkward, that's terrible. And if you can't give, then you're just holding everything tightly and you're not willing to open up your life and your heart and your spirit. So I think we have to understand the circulation between consumption and contribution and make sure we're practicing both or we're going to have, we're going to be way out of whack and way lopsided. I love that you just use that word circulation. And I think that there's a lot of people who start to make some money and then it, it becomes like a hoarding mentality around like, you know, I've got some digits in the bank account, like I can't let it go. And that concept of circulation is one that I've been working on, like, like money or currency it's just a distribution of energy. Like it's a way to, to take my efforts as a service provider, turn them into something tangible and then use those efforts to, to trade goods and services with other people um, or get in a better room or whatever the case is. That's it. Money, money ultimately is just energy. The question is, are you storing it? Are you circulating it? Are you using it to build more? Because money's job is to create more money. What does that mean? It just means that money is meant to, to be let loose. And it doesn't mean you just throw it out in the street. It means you're supposed to be using your intelligence as a human to direct it. And once you do that, then that energy can be used for good or bad. I mean, money is just a tool. Hell, money just makes you more of who you are anyway. So when people yep. say, I'm going to have a lot of money and everything's going to be good, I'm like, yeah, you're a bastard right now. You're just going to be a bigger bastard. <laughs> so <Yeah>. like, <laughs> what are we emphasizing here? We're emphasizing whoever you are. So if you're kind of a messed up nut job right now doing bad things, first thing you need to do is the personal development on you. Get yourself straight and then go after the money because that money is just going to accelerate whoever you are already. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I couldn't couldn't agree more. And I think there's a theme through a lot of the podcast guests I've had on is know yourself, do some deep work, find out what the things are that are going to motivate you, get you up at three a.m. and keep you going, and, and get you excited generally uh, before you start to try and tackle like starting a company or or building some real estate portfolio or whatever. That's that's the big thing. I mean, you mentioned this a minute ago about blaming. 
And here's the thing where most people are at. They, they blame somebody. They blame, they blame the economy. They blame their parents because they dropped him on their head. They blame the president because they don't like him because of his hair or his policy. There's this blame. People are victims. They're justifying their lives. And the other side of that is responsibility. When you own your life and everything, and I'm talking about everything, and people say, well, I can't own this. The tsunami killed my, my family or I was raped or like all these things. They go, I'm a victim. And I go, yeah, but you get to choose how you actually interpret that, what, it, what meaning it has. And if you're willing to take responsibility for the meaning you give these things, you own your life. The moment you shift away and you say it was because of something, it's this person, you've given away all your power and you can't change anything. The moment you take responsibility is the moment you change your life. Yeah. And, and I th- I'm glad that you brought up a couple of those examples is because bad stuff happens in the world that is 100% out of our individual control. You absolutely get to choose how to react and respond to those, those items. And um, you know, if you don't do it consciously, something will come up and enter your brain and, and it'll become unconscious to you. Yeah, there's, there's a war. It's like good versus evil. Like it's always going on. If you don't say this is how I am, this is who I am, then there are these default stories and these default ways of thinking will just seep in and you'll end up becoming a victim because it'll seem good. You can go and you can commiserate with other people. Well, that doesn't get yep. you anywhere. No matter what, bad things happen. The question is, what do you do with them? That's the only question that you should be asking. I love it, man. And that goes into the personal development, um, which I do have a question on, uh, and we are getting towards the end. So I want to respect your time today. With that, I want to transition into our focus five because it's a perfect segue, um, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Um, so relative to personal development, that means reading a lot of books. And I'm curious, what book have you gifted most often? The book I've gifted most often, it probably was Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because we're so screwed up about our money. And it's such a simplified way to look at money. And actually, the way Kiyosaki writes and, and thinks is just, it's reality-based. Uh, so between his stuff and Steve Siebold's stuff on how the rich think, those are probably the two things that I've given away more than anything. I mean, in mass, because I so believe in them. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a perfect way to start any sort of investing career of real estate, stocks, whatever. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? I think I would, I would love to have a conversation with my grandfather. Both my grandfather and great-grandfather died when I was three the same year. And oh, wow. uh, you know, when that happened, there's never a chance. When you're three years old, you don't have – there, there's not conversations that go deep. You know, and I don't remember any of them anyway. But I would have loved to understand who he was because there was something that was so genuine that rippled through decades from his impact on other people. And the stories around who, that, who he was, I, I think one of the valuable things that any of us can do is find people that are 70, 80, 90 years old and listen to their stories because they've been through so many things. We think we know things and we really don't because we haven't been through things. So we don't know at a cerebral, emotional level. And people that have been through all the different cycles and the pain and the glory and, and the disturbances and everything else, there's value in those conversations. I think that that's, I think all of us have an opportunity because we're always bumping into people. And the question is, do we take advantage of it or do we just brush them aside because maybe they just don't get it? What is one thing that you believe most people would disagree with you on? That losing money is, is probably, I say it's a good thing. I, I say when, when you go out and lose money because you're investing in your understanding, I think you're getting wealthier. Um, I had this conversation with Robert Kiyosaki, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad earlier this year. We were talking on a cruise and he hit me with something that I went, wow, I never thought about that. He said, true wealth is not, it's not anything other than the experiences you have by going out there and doing things. 
the more you do, the more you learn, which means you make mistakes, the wealthier you get. And I thought, oh, yeah, it's not cash. It's not cash flow. It's, it, and it's almost not even just, I thought it was more about contribution. It's about going out and doing things, breaking things, making mistakes, looking silly. You get wealthier by doing that. I'm like, I am like literally one of the wealthiest people in the world because I screw everything up. <laughs> I, lo- I love that distinction. And um, I think that goes back to your comment earlier about failure and learning how to be right. And, you know, maybe we, geez, we could go deep on that, but unfortunately we don't have time for it. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Like how do you start your day? So every, every day I work out and it's, and, and I meditate and, and I have my coffee. It's like a celebration of, wow, what a gift this life is. And because if, if we don't do things to take care of our body, it doesn't really matter because our body's going to fail on us. We have to, we have to be conscious that we have this, this shell so yep. I think it's important rhythm. It's not something I think about, am I going to work out? Like I just do it. It's, it's who I am. That's the thing that really makes a difference. When you become, when your habits become who you are, you're not thinking about them. You just do them. And it, it, it actually takes a lot of the stress around decision-making because we wear ourselves out. There's a, a book that about, it was called Habits or Habit something. And it was really about making sure that you do things, you line your life up to where you're making less and less decisions because all these things that are decisions become an exhausting process and you end up with losing willpower to do things that actually matter because you're thinking, what do I eat today? What do I wear? Do I go to the gym? Like all this stuff adds up and it drains us. So find ways to take those decisions out of your life. And so every morning it's kind of like autopilot. And by the time I I get done with those things, I'm ready to go create. And so my, my morning ends up being about creation and then I end up doing all the reactionary stuff. That's fantastic way to structure your day. And I, the book I think is just called Habits, yellow with red writing on it. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, I love that book. I gave that out as a holiday gift like three or four years ago to everyone I knew. And I don't know how many read it, but I hope they all did. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Larry Winget talked about this one time. He had a book and, he, and he's the pit bull of personal development it's bald yep. here in Phoenix. And he, he's awesome. He, he said, I had a book one time and we produced like 10,000 copies and so, somebody read he reached out to me and they said, hey, do you know that there's like 40 blank pages in the back of your book? And he goes, it's interesting. You're the first person that said that and there's 10,000 copies out there. It just tells you how often people actually read. Like they buy the book because they go, yeah, I bought the book. I got that book. But have yeah. they read? Most people don't read the book. Most people don't read a book after high school. That's how crazy it It's nuts. I started reading way more books after college once I got a little bit more interested in this personal development space. And Gosh, how, how big of a difference that has taken because you can take 10 years of someone's experience, distill it to 100 or 200 pages and knock that out in a month, like if you're a slow reader a month and man, you, you do that 12 times a year, you've got, you've got 120 years of knowledge all of a sudden in your brain. It's like if you're a numbers person and that didn't knock you out, like go, I don't know what's going to get you to read a book. <laughs> it's a great hack. It's leverage other people's experience OPE people think about OPM other people's money and OP time you're really having other people's experiences that's the hack it's not just about what's in the four-hour work week it's literally using other people because you you're figuring out what questions to ask because they've already gone through and they're like oh if I could go back here's the question I would ask because that's kind of what they write about it's the experiences so you're right that is the the great the great leverage point other people's experiences with books love the way you put that man uh, Damien, this has been awesome. What is the best place the audience can connect with you online the most? Best place to, to find me is DamienLupo.com. I've got the, my digital me is, is there. So reach out. I've got some, some cool stuff on financial freedom, if that's of interest to you and, and the, the books and things. And there's just a, that's where I live. 
Um, if there's digital me, that's it's at DamianLupo.com. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes, DamianLupo.com. Guys, go over and check that out. He's got some great books, some great content that he's putting out and uh, definitely grateful to have you on the show today because you've really brought some fantastic uh, thoughts and wisdom for us to take away. And I can bet that I'm going to be re-listening to this one once we launch it. Uh, Hans, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the energy you're putting into this and I'm happy to help any way I can. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you and uh, have a good rest of your day and we'll sign it off for now. Thank you very much. You too. And that does it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed my conversation with Damian Lupo. Uh, if you want to connect with him on a more intimate level, uh, go to DamianLupo.com, which is down in the show notes. And of course, while you're down there, you can find my Calendly link so you can pick a time to get on my calendar. We can have a quick chat and uh, get to know one another a little bit better because it really helps with feedback. Uh, and speaking of feedback, if you like this episode or any of the others, uh, hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes as well as leave me a written rating and review. I'd really appreciate it. It gives me the feedback. Also tells the Apple algorithm to continue to put this uh, content in front of folks who uh, like you uh, would be interested in it. So I'd really appreciate that. And uh, without any further ado, uh, we'll go ahead and sign it off. So this is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. Thanks for joining in for this episode of Another Way to Play, making the next chapter of your life better than your last. For more insights and inspiration to help you make that personal leap, be sure to engage with Hans on social media and get your questions answered right here on the show. Reach out to Hans at ChiefSNAH on Instagram, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Another Way to Play.